Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. The book of 1 John. Now, I, I attempt, I don't know if you ever noticed it, I, I think I was a little more vocal with it when we were teaching on faith. But many times on Wednesday nights, I attempt to um, teach things in this, in this setting that complement what we're teaching on Sunday morning. Uh, I think when we were teaching on faith on Wednesdays, I got into hindrances of faith, different things like that. And so we try to, you know, kind of undergird what we teach uh, out of the Word of God uh, uh, on Wednesday night, try to add a little more to it. Sometimes we get a little more, how can I say it, a little more in-depth or share a little bit more of the meat of the Word of God than we would on a, on a Sunday morning. Now, let me just say this. The, the redemptive plan of God, that which He's done for us in Christ, when we got each of us individually, individually at different times in our lives, when we got born again, I don't think any of us really comprehend to the depth and the extent of what a miracle that is. I've always said, and I, and I uh, maintain that no matter what you receive from God, from the point in which you get born again till the day you either go by the rapture or the way of the grave, if you... I mean, if you get a leg put back on or you receive a billion dollars or whatever it is, that it's still pale in the light of your new birth. That the new birth is the greatest miracle. That's, that's it. And isn't it amazing that he, God gives you that right up front? First thing you receive from God is the greatest thing you'll ever get from Him. Being born again. Passing from death into life, from darkness into light. Now, the amazing reality of the redemptive work of God through Jesus Christ is that most of Christianity views salvation as just the forgiveness of sins. You know, well, thank God I'm saved. God forgave my sins. Well, in reality, if you're a student of the Word of God, you know that when you got born again, your sins were not forgiven. They were remitted. You say, now, what do you mean by that? Well, not only was your everything you've ever done, past, present, and future, placed or eradicated or washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there should have been a removal of a sense of guilt or condemnation when it comes to being in the presence of God. So that the new birth is such a total work and such a radical, uh, uh, we don't even call it a change because the Word of God calls it a newness of life, that that's really the only way you can describe it is that when you get born again, you become what the Bible says, a brand new creature. Now the problem with most people in Christianity is, is they have an identity crisis because they can relate to everything that was a part of their life when they were a sinner. And the sum total of a lot of people's experience with that which God has done for them in Christ is the knowledge or the reality of what they've come out of. Well, I'm not a drug addict anymore. I'm not a drunk anymore. I'm not, a, I'm not prejudiced anymore. I'm not, I don't hate anymore. I'm not perverted. Well, that, that's, that, we all rejoice over that. Thank God for what we've come out of. The Bible tells us in Colossians, He hath delivered us from the power of darkness. But the greater measure of that is He has also translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son or the dominion of His dear Son. Now, and every one of us on the inside have a brand new nature. The nature of who we were before we got saved was made up of many variables. The foundation of those variables is the human nature. Every one of us 
Black, white, red, yellow, green, polka dot, or striped like a zebra, doesn't matter. Every one of us were born with the human nature. And then the variables of gender, race, geographical location, economic situation, all led to the exacerbation of that, of that initial identity being formed. Amen. I mean, even psychologists and psychiatrists talk about conditions of people having poor self-image or, 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 or a poor self-identity. You know, a person has a poor self-image or whatever. But when you got born again... All of that that was on the inside of you, the real you, the spirit you that was, that was you know, uh, uh, in the human family and, and subject to everything that was part of the fall, the fear, the intimidation, uh, you name it, the hatred, the prejudice, the uh, 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 whatever it could be. All of that was removed. The core motivation of that is gone. It's gone. Now the problem that we have is this. While it was there, it was training us over and over and over because we're trained through repetition. Everything. I ran into somebody the other day. They had, a little, they had a little pup, a little dog, and we were on the ferry coming back from hunting. They were looking at my, my, my nine-year-old Labrador in the back and asking questions about her, and I said, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, she, 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 uh, she's a hunting dog, and, you know, she picked up uh, 24 birds this morning, and they were like, just kind of oohing and on and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and so the guy asked me, he said, well, what would be your advice? And, yeah, I mean, you know, standing, how long are you on the ferry? 15 minutes? And I probably talked to him for five. What would be your advice in training, you know, uh, this little dog, this little puppy? And I said, there's only, if I can tell you one thing you need to do, it's repetition. If you can spend five minutes a day with that little pup and teach him how to sit, teach him how to stay, teach him, you know, several different, uh, just really basic commands then if you'll do that for a year, you'll, you'll have a dog that you enjoy the rest of, your, rest of that dog's life. But you have to be repetitive. you got to do it every day. 365 days in that year. If you'll do that, then you'll have a, a, a great dog. We had a, 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 the dog before Cookie was Honey. Now, Honey, when we got Honey, Honey was a Honey. I don't know how we ended up getting her. Some client of dad's made a phone call, and someone in Atlanta, Georgia called us and gave us the pick of the litter. And so, you know, we, we were waiting on this dog. We went up, had a meeting. We preached a couple of meetings in Central Texas and drove to Dallas. They were going to fly it from Atlanta to Dallas. So while uh, uh, we were there, the people that uh, uh, run the baggage came out and told us, now you need to go sit over here, and when this light comes on and starts spinning, that means your oversized luggage or baggage, uh, uh, any golf clubs or your, your dog that's in a crate, will be in uh, ready for you to go pick up. So while we're standing there, obviously some people, I think they had golf clubs or something they were waiting on. So the man, uh, the woman was picking up the man and he was saying, you know, man, when we were getting on the plane, somebody brought this little black Labrador retriever and that thing was trying to take over the world. And it was barking, 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 and it wasn't afraid, but it was like, you know, look at me, here I am. And we were, immediately and I were looking at each other like, oh my God, they're talking about honey. And sure enough, when we got honey, she was, she took over the world. She took over our world. We had an old lab at the house named Cookie. And when we put honey down on the floor, uh, no, we put honey down on the floor. We had sugar, oh, sugar, our chocolate. We put honey down on the floor. She walked over to sugar, turned around, and sat down on her head. Now, what is she trying to tell us? 
I'm taking over. I'm here. Now, all of that in her was her nature. She was the pick of the litter, the alpha female. That was her nature. So we started a, a, a regimented, repetitive training program. And I'm telling you, she responded. We even took her up and had her train a couple of times. We had to go out and do crusades, so we left her with a trainer. And, and, and then about she got about six or seven months old, and she was like, I'm doing what I want to do the way I want to do it. And I'm like, but you're a dog, you know, and I'm the one that feeds you. And so I had to get a, a, a dog called Problem Gun Dog, uh, uh, Problems with, with Gunning Dogs. And I read that, and it went back to, to the wolf pack and how the wolf pack is dominated and how you've got to understand the alpha. You've got to, have to, you've got to understand the, the subordinate. You have to understand, I mean, all these technical terms, but I figured out that I was going to have to train her as one of two type of dogs. And everybody, if you recognize this in your dog, it might help you. She was either a hot dog or she was a soft dog. All dogs are either hot dogs or soft dogs. You say, what do you mean by that? They can either, they either respond to, to uh, discipline and the whip and the, and the, and the loud no, or, they, or, they, or you've got to pet them all the time. That's the only kind of two dogs there are. That's their nature. And, and, and honey, we had to get a horse quirk. He said, you really did that? We really did that. That's how you train. Now, Cookie that we have now, when we started training her, the first thing she did, I popped her with that, and she ran over in the corner and hid like this. And we went, oh, we got a soft dog. So we had, to, we had to pet her and good girl, good girl, good girl with everything that you do. There you can't. So you've got to understand those, they, they have a nature like that. It's their nature. So you've got to train them according to their nature. Now, psychologists and psychiatrists talk about all the, you know, I've read books on it back when I used to teach Bible school a lot about the different personalities of people and all that. And they are, there is relevance to that in the soulish realm, but not in the spirit realm. Because your personality is developed in your soul. But you're born with certain traits. You know the phrase people say, well, that's the way God made me. No, no, that's not the way God made you. That's not the way God... God did not make you like that. The way you ended up was because of the fall. And what God's trying to do is remake you. Now let me say that again. What God's trying to do is remake you so you have this spirit on the inside that's, that's full of the life of God, full of the, full of the nature of God, uh, full of the desires of God, but then you have a mind and you have flesh that have, that have trained you either as a hot dog or a soft dog. And basically what it is, you've trained yourself. Come on. I mean, mom and daddy did it for a while, but it did... You know, you got about 12, 13, 14, and, and their influence begin to wear off, 15, 16, 17, and all of a sudden, you know, your, your, your influence became the dominant trainer of your mind and of your soul. So once you're born again, and that life and that power of God is in you, then over here in this soulish realm and in this flesh realm, you've got all these negative things in your life that literally do not respond to that which is in your spirit. The Bible says it's actually an enemy of that which is in your spirit. And your spirit man many times is literally, for lack of a better term, is literally hamstrung 
because of the inability of the soul and the flesh to become yielded to that which the Spirit desires to do. Therefore, you're stuck in this place kind of in the middle in which you're going, what am I going to do? I, 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 I'm, I'm hot one day, I'm cold the next. I'm worshiping one day, I'm crying the next. I'm doing this, I'm believing God, and the next day I'm in unbelief. What's going on? Well, Paul talked about that, and he said literally that's the way we all are, and what God has done for us in Christ was not only to put His Spirit in us, but to put His Spirit upon us so that we could get revelation from the Word of God, and the strength of that Word in your spirit is what remakes or retrains your flesh and your soul. And without it, you're stuck. You don't mature. Now, the number one, the number one character trait of God that is in your spirit but must grow and develop. Number one, he starts, he always gives us the best first. Number one, everybody say number one, is love. Everybody say love. love. Now, when we say that, oh, we, you know, we, we need to love one another, love, love God, love the church, love. Okay, that, you know, I've taught on love. I've got in the scriptures. I've dug out the definitions of the word. I've done my best my whole Christian life to walk in love. Now, the problem is, you, you have to understand this. The love of God, which the Bible says is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So God is the one with his hand on the regulator or the thermostat. So he's going to be turning love up all the time in you. Amen? And what the love of God does, now listen very carefully, what the love of God does is to present you with choices. Now let me say that again because I want you to get that. What the love of God in your spirit does is present you with choices. Now let me say it one more time because I'm going to add something to that that you need to get. What the love of God does is present you with choices, not a feeling. Amen. Now let me say that again. What the love of God does is present you with choices and not a feeling or an emotion, which we get confused with every other kind of love. Amen. Because every other kind of love carries with it the weight of feeling or emotion, and we gauge that love by how strong or how unstrong or weak that emotion is. Amen? Amen. You, get a, you get a young man and a young woman that meet each other and they've got a strong emotion, they'll start getting drawn to one another. That's infatuation. I mean, before they even know one another. They call it chemistry. Woo! Did you, I got around so so, you know, whoa, you know, glory to God. And there's people that have had real good chemistry, but that chemistry has a way of either being turned up or being turned down based on the behavior of the two individuals. Once you get to know somebody a little bit, that chemistry is either enhanced, amen, or it begins to kind of fade away. you just kind of like, yeah, they ain't the one. <laughs> amen. And the and now you don't even think about it because we're so conditioned to these things. We do it. We do it uh, unresponsively. There's no responsive thought toward it. We're just conditioned to it. You walk into a car lot, and and you your the favorite car you've seen. Uh, you saw the ad on the television. You looked in the popular mechanics. You got the brochure on it, 
and, and, you, and you want that car. You love that car. I love that car. I want that car. You walk past every other car that the guy behind you may love the car. You just walk by. Amen? And how many times have we allowed our emotions or our feeling or our human love, soulish love, literally cause us to make decisions based on that emotion, and some of them many times weren't the smartest thing you ever did. <laughs> you just did it because you loved it. You felt good. There was an emotion. You know, I love double-dipped, large Dairy Queen soft-serve cones. <laughs> I can feel the love. I can hear that. That's what Breland said when she was little enough to talk and we used to make pudding for her to eat. She said one time, I can hear pudding. <laughs> Amen. She loved it. <clears throat> so there was a what? There was a sense connection. And for all of... Now listen to me. This is an important point. For all of our lives, in every dimension of love, we have been sense connected. Now think about that for a moment. In all of our lives, in everything, we've been sense connected. You know, I love to go duck hunting. Was, uh, Saturday morning was the opening day of duck season here in, in South Texas. And, and I was at Kenny ever duck season. I've been a duck hunter for 43 years and I still can't sleep the night before. You know, I'm tossing and turning. I've got the dog's tail stumping on the floor when the alarm goes off. You know, I get up half asleep. But you know, I love it. I can feel the love. I enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? And then all of us have things in our life that are like that. And then we get born again, and God says, you got to love your neighbor. you got to love your brother. you got to love your sister. you got to love me. But you, you don't get no emotions. You don't get no feelings, and you're kind of going, what? Amen? I want to love you, Lord. I wanna, and, you, and you reach up there for something, and there ain't nothing there. And you're like, well, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I swear I love you, Lord. You know what I mean? Come on. So you have to understand the way God loves, the agape of God. Now, this isn't unique. In, in, in first, don't turn. We're, we'll get into 1 John in just a moment. In 1 Corinthians 13, what we call the love chapter, the translators of the King James Version studied that word in the, in, the, in the Greek, the linear Greek. They looked at it every way. Now, in every translation, but King James, well, some other, there, there, there are some, uh, 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 not translation, that's not, it's not a translation, it's a, uh, say it? It's not a paraphrase. It's a translation, not a paraphrase. Excuse me. In every translation, it's the word love, L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E, except the King James. In the King James, it's not the word L-O-V-E, it's the word charity. It is. I mean, and you look at it and you think, now, now that's talking about love, but why did the translators use the word charity? Now, if you go study the history of how they got the King James Version to be the King James Version, when they, when they printed it back in 16-whatever it was, they literally could not come up with a word that satisfied the Greek word for what they were talking about. They couldn't find one. And because Greek has a Latin foundation 
And a Latin foundation, I'll give you a little linguistics course here. The Latin, the Latin is what we call a romance language. How many speak Spanish? So you know in speaking Spanish, there's much more, there's much more emotion in Spanish. There's much more, uh, you can explain better in Spanish. You can detail better. You say, well, it's a romantic language. Its base is in Latin. So they're looking at this word that is connected to God. That, that, that basically they cannot find a word to put in there. They're, they're like, we can't, we can't find a word. So we know it's, it's like love, but it's got to be charity. Now think about charity for a moment. Because Well, they made a mistake, should have been love. We always think that. But now think about this for a moment. Did they really make a mistake? What is charity? Now when you have love and you have charity, I'm just talking about in all of our experience, when you have love, and you have charity. When you have charity many times, there's no feeling. But there is as much as an act of charity because it carries kindness, it carries benevolence, it carries compassion, it carries all these other traits with it that may not be connected to an emotion. Are you with me? Now, go over there to John, book of 1 John. Well, let's start it in, in uh, chapter 3. Make sure I'm right here. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. And we're just going to pull this scripture out. Then we're hitting a couple other scriptures as we go in this. Because I'm kind of tying this to redemption and our new nature in Christ. It says, uh, what verse did it say? 18? 18. My little children, let us not love in word neither in tongue, but in deed, everybody say deed, deed. and in truth, everybody say truth. truth. Now notice that, that not, not, you know, tongue to the body of Christ, my brothers, my sisters, not, let us not love by just saying we love. Now let, let me, I'm going real slow in this because I think it's going to help us. The reason is because faith works by love, and the only way you really comprehend and receive redemptive reality is through faith. The greatest exercise of your faith is not to get a Cadillac or build a church building or fly an airplane. The greatest exercise of your faith is your identity change. Amen. When you actually see that you're not the person you used to be. Amen. That takes faith. That takes faith and it takes love working by faith in order to do that. So it says, let us just, uh, let us not love in what? In word, how does it say in the King James again? In word, neither in tongue. In word. So basically, John is writing to us as the church in Galveston, Texas, and he's saying, let us not just say we love. Now think about this for a moment. A lot of our, quote, Agape love is that right there. We say we love. You know, I love my church, I love my pastor, I love the praise and worship, I love the ushers, I love the, you know, we love our police officers that do the security, we love our parking lot, we love the flounder tournament, love the Christmas banquet, love Fall Harvest, we love the, you know, and we think, well, you know, well, in reality, that's not what it's talking about. That, that's not what it's talking about. So it says that we must love in what? We must love in, in deed. And in truth. So it takes the emotional 
how can I say this? The emotional commodity that every one of us enjoy in love with our wives, our children, our possessions, our lifestyle, our hobbies, whatever we love to do, it takes and literally segregates us from that and says you're not going to get the benefit of feeling, of emotions. Now, before I go too far in that, let me say this. That's only in the beginning stages of your faith walk by love. That you have to love by faith. But if you walk far enough in God and in Christ, the Holy Ghost has a way of providing an emotion that is above any human emotion you'll ever experience. And every time you experience it, and I'm going to tell you this by experience, you do not experience for yourself. You experience because of what God does for someone through you. That's how you experience it. When you see somebody healed, somebody come to the Lord, somebody blessed financially, somebody touched by God, and you see God because of what you had done to get God to them, and God showed up as God in their lives, and your sacrifice of love got it there, then you will experience a feeling or emotion that does not have human origin. It's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. So, notice what it says again. Let me read it. We'll go right, just turn a page back and go to chapter 2. It says, My little children, let us not love in word, everybody say in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Everybody say deed and in truth. Now, right back over, let me find it here. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. Everybody say light. Now what's amazing about God when it says the Bible talks about what God is, there are three things that He does not do, but that He is. Amen? He is truth. That means He doesn't choose to tell the truth. When He speaks, no matter what He says, that's the truth. Truth is the word and the deed that come together to produce something. God is truth. God is love. And God is, and these two words, it's not four, but the, the two are the same, light and life. Because if you study the two words, they're interchangeable. God is truth, love, light and life. Three things. Truth, love, light and life. So it says here, it says, He that loveth his brother abideth in light. So that's a part, you've got two parts right there of God. Love and light. Everybody say love and light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. That means if you love me and I love you, there's nothing I can do to you. There's nothing I can do to you that will cause you to begin to draw boundaries around me and decide whether or not I cross a boundary and you will begin to respond to me and say, now I'm not, not first of all, no, remember, love is not stupid. Love is not, love is not a, a, a weakness. We're talking about interaction in the body of Christ. That doesn't mean, well, I'm going to come drain your bank account. That's criminal. <laughs> Amen? We're just talking about interaction with people in the body of Christ who we're all supposed to love one another. You got it? So, 
That means if we're abiding in love and in light, then we're not drawing perimeters around us that if those perimeters are crossed, we enter into something else other than love. Amen? Amen. Now we'll, we'll, we'll discover in a minute what that else could be. But see, sometimes we don't understand the nature of unconditional love. Unconditional love. Unconditional love is manifested. Our example of unconditional love is Jesus. God's gift of Jesus to the earth with no assurance that anybody's ever going to accept Him as Lord or Savior. Amen. I'm going to send Him to the earth. He's going to live a sinless life. He's not going to have the Adamic nature. He's going to be my son. He's going to die. He's going to take the sins of the world. He's going to go into hell. He's going to suffer three days and three nights. He's going to rise from the dead, the firstborn among the living. The first, the firstborn. Now, who wants it? Amen. Now, so, so God's never assured. He did it. How did God do it? By faith. It was the seed sown by faith. And how was it sown? By love. The greatest expression of love the universe has ever seen. For God so loved the world. Now think about the world. What was the world he loved? It was, it was a mess. The Bible says, when we were yet in our sin, dead in our sins and trespasses, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. That God didn't see us as we were. Love saw us as that which we could be. Amen. A what? A reproduction of God Himself in the earth. By faith, through love, God's children living on earth in love. Amen? Amen? Everybody say light. light. Love. love. Life. Life. Truth. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Now, this darkness is the preeminent reality of Christianity in the world. That's why we label ourselves. Amen? Why well, we have denomination? Uh, how would you like to come and go with me to the Baptist church tomorrow? Oh, well, I ain't a Baptist. <laughs> come on. I'm not a Lutheran. I'm not a Presbyterian. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not the. Notice how we label ourselves. Now, what are we saying about ourselves when we make statements like that? We are saying that there are people that claim the same God we do. And the same Savior we do, that we have put boundaries around ourselves because they put boundaries around themselves. That was one of the greatest realities of the charismatic movement, was that by the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God came in and removed those boundaries. And tens of thousands. It wasn't a great healing revival. It wasn't a great church building revival. It wasn't a great uh, a teaching revival. It's when millions of Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, Presbyterians, Lutheran, you name it, millions of them got born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. Those lines were blurred. Why? Because of love. And some of the people that God used in that, Demas Shakarian, he's a dairy farmer. Never even claimed to, to have a ministry gift. Wasn't an apostle, 
prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. He wrote the book, Happiest People in the World. Ever read that book? The Happiest People in the World. He was the founder of an organization called Full Gospel Businessmen. And his, his testimony was remarkable. As a, as a uh, I believe it was his father or grandfather, as a young man, his father or grandfather in Armenia, in that part of the world, uh, a little prophet, a kid that was a prophet, not 19 years old, came and prophesied to their family that they had to leave and go to America or they'd be destroyed. And they got up and left. I think it was his father's grandfather, I don't remember. Got up and left and came to America and something like six or eight months after they had the great Armenian massacre took place and they wiped out that entire group of people off the face of the earth. And they had been caught up in that. But God brought them over where Southern California, wasn't it, Dad? And they went in the dairy business. Started raising cows, milking cows, making butter and cheese. And they got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And God used them to spearhead literally. Of course, there were a lot of other people involved in it besides them. But they, they did. They were some of the... And when you would get around the, the full gospel businessmen chapters, there would be Baptist people there, Methodist people there, Catholic people there. There would be every kind of denomination and religion you can think of all gathering together in the name of Jesus and the name of love. And all of those boundaries were very blurred, if not totally eradicated or erased. Amen. Now notice this. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whether he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Now, Lee and I in doing evangelistic work in our field ministry. I'm not going to say where it was because you may judge the people. And so I'm just not going to say where. But a certain place we're doing crusades so that could be one of many nations. There was a, a group of people that do not believe any, the way we do at all, especially when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And they're very, um, I don't know what you'd say, not only just vocal about it, but uh, they're very resistant to it. Now in this particular area, this pastor and his wife of this church came to some of our meetings. And we didn't know who they were. I mean, we didn't know that they were of this, quote, particular group of people. So we just treated them like we treat everybody. And if I'd have known, I'd have still treated them like that. And we loved them and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then after the thing was over, we found out who they were. And we were like, oh, really? And they came like every night. Now, when that crusade was over, Lee and I left and went to another location. And when we got to that location, we were contacted and those people had bought us, how can I say this, an event, something to do. Um, remember that? Something to go out and do that would have cost two or $300, three or $400. And we were like, who did this? And they told us again. And we're like, who did this? And they told us again. Now what had happened was, the blindness that was upon them because of a prejudice because of doctrine was removed by the anointing of the Spirit of God. And as it was removed by the anointing of the Spirit of God, that which would have caused offense to happen was removed. And when offense or the ability for offense to happen, when it was removed, the first response was to give. 
Now, you need, you need to hear that a little stronger. You say, what do you mean? To give. And see, when I say give, everybody thinking about, well, he done took one off. Right? See, that's, that's, that's the problem we have many times with love. For God so loved the world he gave. He has no money because he has all the money. But he has no money because he has all the money. You say, I, I, I can't figure that out. You're not supposed to. He's God. Are you with me? So when he says give, when he says give, literally he's talking about an act which defines love. Now, now stay with me real quick. I've got like two or three minutes and I'll close. Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you love me, you can have a warm, fuzzy feeling the rest of your life until you die or go to heaven by the rest. That's not what he said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Amen? Now, if you study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see a life of sacrifice, you see a life of, of, uh, of, of giving everything without holding nothing back. He died with our sin, our sickness, everything that was wrong with us, and then he went to our place of punishment. That's total. That's, that's total. That's not a total consecration. That's not a co total commitment. That's giving your life. That's giving your life. That's what he did. He gave his life. For God so loved the world, he gave. Now, when we get born again and, and God puts his nature in us and the first fruit of the Spirit and the strongest fruit of the Spirit that should come up out of our lives is what? Love. So for God so loved the world, he gave. And, and, and if you love your brother, notice what it says. Uh, you're, you're, you abide in the light, the light is in you. If you don't, you're blind. So what God demands of us is giving. Now wait, wait, wait. See, see when we say that, people say, he's teaching on prosperity. No, no, no. Take all the money out of that word. Take every dime, take the gold out, take everything. Take everything out, take everything out. All the money. No, no, no. You have to give. See, what do you mean? You have to give. You say, what do I have to give? Everything. Amen. Now, we're not talking about money. We're not looking at your pocketbook. We're not looking at it. We're talking about you. You. You have to give. What do you have to give? You have to give everything. You have to give everything. Amen? Amen. I watched people over the years. Uh, uh, the couple that we supported, Botswana, Africa, have raised up probably one of the most premier missionary outreaches in the world. They've touched the entire nation. They've touched the leadership of the nation. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're basically raising up the next generation to come up under them. Uh, uh, Jerry and Jana are just some of the most wonderful people. And when you listen to their testimony, uh, Jana being raised, you know, raised in, in, in Christianity, and uh, she ran around with, a, at that time, a, 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 a young lady named Rachel Cook, who became Rachel Birchfield, married Tommy Birchfield. They ended up in, up in Columbus. I believe they have a church in Katy now. But they were in the first year of Lakewood Bible Institute, LBI, which is the school I went to. I was in the second. They were in the first. And, and Jerry was a businessman, drove a Porsche, and wanted to make millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And so he got to looking at Jana in school. You know how young men, how you look at young women. That's normal, amen? And so he thought he would ask her out. 
And Jan is kind of bold, you know. And so uh, uh, he came up to ask her out, and her response was this. I ain't going out with anybody that's not called to Africa. That's what she said. And I remember him telling his testimony right here in this pulpit, or maybe over on 45th Street one time. He said, I thought to myself, well, I ain't got to worry about dating her. Because the last place I'm going on this planet is Africa. I'm going to drive my Porsche. I'm going to make my millions. I'm going to give money to Lakewood Church, let them go to the world. You know, he had it all planned out his whole life. His whole life. Then Till Osborne came to the school, and instead of preaching, he set up a projector and showed a one-hour film called Black Gold. And Black Gold is the story of four African crusades in which thousands and thousands and thousands of beautiful African people came to Jesus, and God did signs, wonders, and miracles. I think, did we show that here one time? I think we did. I, yeah, I think we showed it during a Bible school, something like that. Anyway, Jerry said, an overwhelming feeling came over me. He said, an overwhelming feeling. And he said, I went into the bathroom and went into a stall and locked the door and got over on the, 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 the toilet. He says, and I just just heaved for 45 minutes. Just, oh, oh. And he said, when I stood up, I was called to Africa to be a missionary. He said, I was called to Africa. So, what did it cost him? Now, see, when he, an hour before in the previous class, he was blinded. He was blinded. But he got positioned by God and by the Holy Ghost for an encounter with the most powerful force in the universe, which is the love of God. And I've heard him tell it several times about viewing that and seeing how much God loved these people. It wasn't the, he wasn't impressed by the ministry of Dr. Osborne. He, wasn't impressed with the, he was impressed with how God would reach down and in mass touch Thousands of people at one time. And it was his life call. And when you hear their testimony of how they went and the miracles that God did and all the everything that went on, but what did they, what did it cost? It cost everything. It cost everything. Now, where our resistance comes in just sitting in a Wednesday night service in Galveston, Texas, in a church service, is our lives. We think. Well, Pastor, you know, that's a missionary to, to Africa, and that's very important. And, you know, we, can, we automatically begin to, to fall back on our previous conditioning. Amen? We automatically we do it. We've already been conditioned by the world, by the flesh, by the devil. You name it, we're already done. So we already fall back into that, and we begin to look at the grandiose uh, 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 act of people going to, to, to Africa, and, and, and we look at them 35 years later, and, and see, most of you weren't there when Lee and I just started uh, supporting them with our, you know, what, $100 a month, and they were, you know, getting little newsletters that were written in hand, and, and you know, we're living in a hut, and uh, there's bugs everywhere. No, you know, they see all the stuff now, and they go, oh, praise God, but they had to give their life to do that. Now, here's what I've discovered. In our own ministry, we've had to give our life your current life that you have 
is why most people are willing to just kind of sit and see what's going to happen. You know, I was, well, you know, if God would give me an experience like that, I might go down there. I don't know. But really what we have to do is this. We have to make a decision because what I was previously going to say, there are times when God will weigh, weigh your heart against itself. And what, is, what, what I mean is this. Just like he did with Abraham and what he did with Isaac. What was it going to cost Abraham to be in the covenant? Everything. When he took Isaac up on the mountain, he recognized that God was able to raise him up out of the ashes. Amen. Because of that, he was willing to give everything. But God did not wait and judge his act. God judged his willingness. Are you with me? So, one second closing. <laughs> Faith worketh by love. Okay. Everything you do toward God is an act of your love toward Him. Every time you open your Bible, every time you bow your knee, every time you walk in the door of the church, every time you tithe or offer, every time you pray for a missionary, everything that you do, everything that you do. So what you have to do to really enter into the fullness you say, well, I don't want to be called to Africa. Well, you probably won't be. Well, I don't want to be a missionary. Well, you probably won't. But you have to be willing to be exposed to what God does to people when He demands everything. You say, what do you mean by that? You have to be willing to do what it takes to get into the place in which God can expose himself to you to the point where you literally become unrestrained and at that point, you love God enough to say to him, whatever it is, wherever it is, whoever it is, I'm willing. And God may or may not pull the handle on that willing. Lee and I have done that with, with, with Ireland, with Hawaii, with other places, we've said, Lord, if that's where you want us to go pastor a church, if that's where you want us to go live, uh, 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 different places in the United States, if that's what you want us to do. And what was the, what was the, what was the uh, choice of God? It was the place of greatest resistance. He said, what did it cost you to come to Galveston? Everything. And you can't gauge that because it wasn't you. It wasn't you, but it was us. And when we came here, it was our act. How are we going to love? In truth and in deed, it was our act of love in response to his act of love toward us. He gave us everything, so we give him everything. So what you have to do is you have to look at your life, you have to make decisions, and thank God for the Wednesday night crowds that come. Because in every service that you attend at a church, every time you go into your prayer room, 
every time you're exposed to any type of the move of the Spirit, there is an opportunity for the Spirit of God to bring you to that very sobering place in which that decision is made. And when you do that, then you understand the strength, the depth. What's it talk about in Ephesians chapter 3? The depth, length, breadth, and height. And to know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge. That word know is to experience. And that's what God wants you to do. Is to not only experience His love. Because it's only as you experience His love can you love Him. Can we love one another? And can we love the world? We can't do it based on someone else's experience. It has to be your own. Amen? Amen. Does that help you tonight? Lift up your hands. Father, we thank you this evening for the love of God. Shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Father, for unrestrained men and women that will give everything. That will give it all, Lord the kingdom of God for that which you're doing in the earth today and in our own lives. We thank you for it, Father. Now, Lord, as we leave tonight, as is our tradition, we thank you that because you love us so much, you put a provision in your word for our protection and safety. So we declare no evil befalls us, no plague comes near our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. You gave us authority, so we use it tonight. We walk on serpents, scorpions over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. We thank you, Father, as we travel on the highways, seaways, railways, airways, or any other way of travel or transportation, as we handle the resource of God that you've given us. Thank you, Father. We're not subject to trauma, to terror, to accidents, to evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. We abide under the shadow of the Most High. No evil befalls us. No plague comes in our dwelling place. Thank you, Father. Tonight, there's a door of utterance outside the four walls of the church that we, Lord, can be a blessing to people. We, Lord, can be an answer to their prayer. We, Lord, can be a miracle in their life and a problem to the adversary. Thank you, Father, as we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love toward you. We walk in love toward one another. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be, thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.